Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Happy Friday, it's me Danco keeping you company on your money. So joining us this morning to break down the latest market actions is Ryan Huang. And let's bring Sean on the show as well. Alright guys, we start today's session with talks of a diminishing risk for the US to fall into a recession. And at least that's according to Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. See, she suggested that a slowdown in consumer spending may be the price to pay for finishing the campaign to contain inflation. And looks like Yellen isn't exactly a alone in an increasingly optimistic outlook for the economy because one of the world's leading economists is making the case that his peers' consensus forecast for a recession this year is off base. According to Mark Zandi, the Moody's analytics chief economist, he thinks that this time it's different and it's betting against a US recession. So, Ryan, what is supporting their argument here? Yeah, so... Janet Yellen saying the odds are going down. So bear in mind, she didn't rule it out, but the odds are going down. And it's based off the fact that you have some data coming through. And if you look at the employment report in May, it showed job gains beating expectations. And home construction and retail sales have also been quite resilient. Plus, looking at the... Recent rate hikes, the 10 rate hikes that we've had before the pause in June, uh, that is something that is going to leave the decision still quite hanging in the air because you have to look out for the implications of what the legged impact might be coming through Mm. in terms of the policies that might play out into the economy, the trickle-down effects. So she's saying, no, with the data coming through, the economy still looks quite resilient but because of all the 10 rate hikes with uh, the US has had already uh, she can't rule it out entirely what might be the impact down the road I see interesting uh, Sean what's your take here what do you think uh, the, the argument is and uh, how do you stand on the what's your opinion on the argument so far I, I, I'm i looking at the the 10 rate hikes and then they did a pause mm. and then they said then two and then there was some the reaction was like they just didn't, didn't the direction is the opposite the market is completely the opposite mm. it went to the upside so it looks like this fat hikes and so on they don't have the same credibility as before mm. the market's doing their own thing so I think that, that there's a lot of disagreement here on whether this is even going to happen they can't even agree in the same country uh, in the same building so yeah. I'm looking yeah. at some of the numbers Goldman Sachs mm. is putting a 25% chance of a recession over the next 12 months, mm. so it's down from 35% in March. So in the space of three months, they have gotten more optimistic. Also, Bank of America revised its forecast last week saying it's going to be a softer downturn and that won't come until next year. A couple of reasons why I feel consumers are going to be still quite resilient is the level of what they call excess savings, which they didn't get to spend in the past few years due to the pandemic. So Mm -hmm. they are still, in some sense, holding on to a lot of cash. They have to spend somewhere. So Mm. that's um, one part of the reason. Would you say that you've spent all your savings from the pandemic? Mm, I'm still saving, so (laughs) I don't think I've changed much, Mm. but that's probably just me. Interesting. What about you, Sean? Well, I didn't find myself saving more or less in pandemic because generally... 
uh, I'm very I, I don't spend much anyway I'm very simple I'm quite I'm quite antisocial actually so wow, I don't, okay. you know, so in a sense you know lockdown no spending it's like oh yeah that, that's fine for me I know so, you've been shopping for cars Dan so how's that going? Ah, uh, I I think we gotta set a good example here at Money FM 89.3 so we gotta save our cash but anyway some of the reasons that um, Mark has uh, stepped up to say uh as to why the possibility of a recession is uh, is uh, diminishing is because of light debt load as well as labor hoarding which is you know the continued strength in the labor market and this is how we could this is how, this is showing signs that it could potentially avoid a serious downturn as well and the economist noted that businesses they struggle to hire and find talent during the pandemic which makes them more likely to avoid layoffs at all costs moving forward now, actually, if you think mm. about it, this this betting against the US recession and so on, looking at what it's done to the market, are you, you kind of wonder, is that going to make the market vulnerable? Because there's going to be complacency now that mm. this recession is not going to come. Yeah, And then, and, you know, there's then uh, it sounds like the optimism that the polls may have mm. could be too rosy yeah. and a bit misplaced. And mm. if you look at the market right now, it's 19 and a half times priced forward with almost... With very good employment, it's almost like full employment. Mm. So you then wonder if that's the case, where's the jobs going to come from, mm. and and then where's the new money going to come into the market, right? Where's the liquidity? Okay. Yeah. Now with every yin, there's a yang as well, though, because uh, I mean that's a stark contrast to what we're hearing in the Treasury bond market, as these investors are betting that the Federal Reserve's interest rate increases will drive the U.S. economy into a recession. Even as stocks rally, and analysts suggest the odds of such an outcome are shrinking. So, um, Ryan, who should we believe then? What's your stand on this? I'll believe you then. Oh, <laughs> I don't even know where I stand. <laughs> so investors are betting that the Federal Reserve's interest rate hikes will drive the US economy into recession. Yeah. So they are not on the Yellen and uh, Mark Zandi boat. So mm. you mentioned labor hoarding, right? So yeah. that comes with a caveat. If you keep hoarding labor, you don't fire anyone and keep hiring, there will come to a point where your workforce will just be not productive. Your productivity mm. goes down because some people will just not be delivering as much as the next guy because there's just not enough work to go around, right? You mm. probably see someone slacking in the office or having extra tea breaks. So you are just paying more for less work being done. So mm. that to some extent is possibly going to way down on your profit margins and then the business won't be doing as well as before. So there is a limit to that, I guess, balancing act that you have to figure out. How much do you want to keep your labor costs? Interesting. What's your take on this, Sean? Where do you stand on the argument between a recession or not a recession? I I think there will be sessions in a few parts, sectors where it's just that we don't really really notice it. Mm. I... Don't I think it's gonna come, mm. and uh, yeah, I am. I'm on the part that there's gonna be recession. Mm. Interesting. When we talk about labor hoarding, I mean, it's quite a stark contrast to what we're seeing in the news as well. I mean, we've been seeing tech companies, you know, laying off tenths of thousands of uh, employees over the past few months as well. So it's quite different to from what we are actually seeing here. But I suppose you know all of these are just speculations and of course predictions that may or may not come true, but we'll have to wait and see how things develop over time. Now let's shift our attention over to the EV space because a deep-pocketed US government program that's designed to finance futuristic energy businesses is issuing a conditional 
$9.2 billion loan to Ford Motor for the construction of three battery factories. And the anonymous loan is by far the biggest government backing for U.S. automakers since the bailouts in 2009 financial crisis. So... Sean, what's the motivation behind this rush of incentives, the government lending and private sector investment? I, well, I think they're just taking their cues. The Biden administration is taking cues from two sources, uh, from whom he has a very complicated relationship, the Chinese Communist Party and then Elon Musk. So mm. basically, yeah, we, we know that, they, that Elon Musk basically does his own thing. Uh, China, the Chinese Communist Party is well. The relationships are a bit strained, of course, uh, as, as it's always been. It's probably higher than it's been uh, now, especially after the comments he said, which was not very nice about Xi. Mm. But anyway, so the 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 loan will cover most of the cost of building the factories for for Ford. I think that's uh, they're just going to throw their weight behind a friendly and agreeable American legacy automaker company. Mm. And yeah, and but but you know. Biden has his green policies. He's using that. He's been using that as a weapon, or rather, he's been using that in his, in his agenda since he took office. So, yeah, this is going to be definitely an, an up for, for Ford, I guess. Mm, interesting. Okay, yeah. In this fact, the President Joe Biden has been framing his green policies as a weapon to confront China since almost since taking office. And, uh, I mean, it's also to help justify climate and industrial policy platforms that remains divisive in the US. So in short, if you can't bring yourself to buy an EV for the sake of the planet, do it for the sake of jobs or superpower status. That's according to President Joe Biden at least. And I mean, well, Ryan, let's bring you in on this then. You know, while Ford, which is attempting the highly risky strategy of building a new EV business that seeks to compete with its legacy one, like, you know, the likes of Tesla, how do you think it fares against, um, you know, maybe Tesla and the ones in China like um, BYD as well? Yeah, the fact now is that a lot of EV batteries are coming from the likes of China. So Mm. as a question of US national security, they are trying to figure out how do you become less dependent on other countries Mm. to make your supply chain more independent and for Ford, it's a chance for them to be more vertically integrated and that could help them save costs when they try to scale up on the EV space. The other part about it is you have to ask as well, is money enough to solve the problem? So $9.2 billion to get Ford to build factories for making batteries. Yeah, They actually did something similar back in 2009. So this is with a company called a123 Systems. Mm. So they had a lot of government backing with millions of dollars. But that was not enough because the market decided they did not feel that the batteries coming from A123 were good enough for them, not cheap enough for them. Mm. And they went bust. And A123, guess what? Was bought by a Chinese auto parts company. Oh, So eventually, I think the market will figure out what it needs and what it wants and where it is going to spend its money on. So on top of, I think, lending money, you will need some form of regulation or other forms of nudging for automakers to buy Mm. American parts. So that's the other part of the equation they might have to think about and maybe we could see coming. Do you see this uh, being a repeat of uh, what you've mentioned before, the A123 systems and maybe even... There is a chance of that happening, but at the same time... A lot has happened in the past 10 years mm. and the EV space perhaps is now in a more mature 
part of the journey where there is more appetite and mm. more, um, I guess, awareness of having the benefits of a, an American factory. And maybe now there is the economies of skill for them to do better. Right. I like to see this as like a healthy competition between, I mean, in the EV space at least. I mean, we're doing this all for the better good of the planet. So looks like uh, this is something that's constantly evolving. So we will have a look at this again in the coming weeks. But of course, now let's turn our attention over to the cryptocurrency market mm-hmm. because they have got them, they've gotten themselves a new home. And that's where we are at Asia. It's fast becoming the new center of gravity for cryptocurrency markets. And that comes as US regulators sued three major crypto exchanges this year with billions of dollars of trading volumes migrating over to us here in Asia. So, Sean, why are investors and marketplaces flocking to Asia? Well, I think it's uh, probably confidence, I guess. Mm. You know, the, they, they, they feel that... You know, they, they basically they're flocking to Singapore, Japan, uh, South Korea now, Hong Kong because Hong Kong introduced a new regime for crypto in, in terms of regulation. So that I think it generally, they, they look at the countries, they just they, they, there's a lot of regulatory confidence in this. Mm. It looks as though um, they they hope that there will be some changes to regulation in China and India. China bans cryptocurrency, yes, uh, I think um, quite, to quite a large extent. And I think once there's some, uh, once they ease that, there's a very big population that they can tap into on both countries. So I, th- that's, that's probably the anticipation that things are, are going to ease up there. Mm-hmm. And, so in, and if it's so, then that is definitely an opportunity for growth. I think internally in China as well, they... They it that is that I mean I mean with the Chinese companies, there's that kind of uh, hope as well. I, I mean the, in the sense that for, if you look at Alibaba for example, they seem to be priming up for to be a bit crypto friendlier when they especially when they changed their chairman and the CEO to crypto friendly uh, figures like uh, Joseph Tsai. So mm. yeah, that uh, that is definitely things that is on their mind, like the untapped potential there. Yeah, I suppose it's a bit more welcoming here, seeing how uh, back in the US as well as Europe, they've been making big strides in crypto regulation and the clampdown as well. Ryan, let's bring you in to this conversation. Now then, what's your take on how do you, how you think Asia can capitalize on this opportunity for the crypto market? Yeah, in essence, uh, it's regulatory clarity. And I think it's coming forth from the countries that Sean outlined including Singapore. So that is helpful when you put it in contrast to what's playing out in the US, where Mm. you have a bit of a crackdown going on, lawsuits being filed against many crypto companies. So no surprises. Many of them are turning elsewhere. And Asia is where they see growth. And two big markets, China and India, they actually are right now as it is not super friendly to crypto Mm. so if policies ease up there for example in China crypto trading remains banned India's got some huge taxes on um, crypto activity so if they ease up on that front there is upside for these crypto companies to tap on right now Mm. as it is there is already a new um, base a big base for new crypto users in Asia for them to tap on and that's why they're here 
Interesting. The shifting tides have been sparking a headlong rush by exchanges and other market participants to expand here in Asia as well. I mean, we've got the likes of Falcon X, and that's a digital asset prime broker that plans to expand in Asia and has applied for a license here in Singapore because they're seeing lots of appetite for crypto over-the-counter derivatives from family offices, propriety traders, and hedge funds, both in Singapore and in Hong Kong. Good news, I suppose, for crypto over here in Asia, or maybe Asia. Good news for Asia, perhaps. But now we're going to play a game of up or down, and you know how to play this game. All you got to do is to guess whether a topic or a stock is going to be an up or a down. Ryan and Sean, are you ready? Sure. Let's, Let's go. go. First one on the list, we've got the Bank of England. Sean, why not you go first? Okay, Bank of England. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Well, the unexpected they, they bet their traders are at, but, uh, traders are adding to bets that the Bank of England's unexpected large interest rate hike won't be the last. The central bank did, I think they they raised this uh, interest rate by about half a percentage point, right? Mm. So, and then, and, and, and then the traders said another increase in September. So down, I think this is going to get a bit more uh, hostile there. Okay, what about you, Ryan? Yeah, it's um, probably going to be a down for me mm. because rate hikes are, I guess, the favour of the day when it comes to where central banks are leaning towards in England. And this is all possibly going to mean a slowdown, at least the odds of a slowdown being higher. So that's, um, I guess, something to watch out for in England, a return to rate hikes to come because of the fight against inflation. It never stops all around the world. It never stops. And market forecasts by, you know, it defied, the central bank defied economists and market forecasts by raising its benchmark interest rates by a half percentage point yesterday. And that's surprising a lot of people and markets. In fact, you know, the return to bigger hikes reflects concern among officials that the BOE's tightening campaign is falling short. I mean, right now, the inflation still remains high above the central bank's target of 2%. It's currently at 8. 7% back in May. So some concerning news. I'm going to go with the down for Bank of England. Next on the list, Deutsche Bank. Mm-hmm. Ryan, why not you go first? All right, Deutsche Bank is going to be a down for me. So it's cutting 10% of its workforce, 17,000 German retail jobs. So it's cutting big time. And I think it's just a sign of pressure for many of these banks uh, as they see expenses go up. Mm. How about you, Sean? I... It's a bit mixed. I mean, yeah, it's not nice when you cut ten percent of a seventeen thousand job uh, of jobs, but that that is cost savings, right? And trimming jobs would kind of keep profits going. So, in a sense, there's a down, and then there's an up as well. So it's a bit of both. Mm, interesting. There, I'm gonna go with uh, down for this one because cost savings. Uh, Productivity, would it be affected? I mean, 17,000 German retail jobs over the next few years. That's quite a bit. I mean, 10% of their workforce as well. Next on the list, we're going to move over to Singapore, Sabana Reed. Sean, why not you go first? Sabana Reed is uh, it's a down for me. I think that they, uh, they've criticized having investor quartz capital proposal to have an internal manager. They, don't, they really seem very upset about that. Mm. So it's a down for me. All right. What about you, Ryan? Yeah, so Quartz Capital has been on this mission to, um, in some sense, get rid of the REIT manager because of what they need to be conflicts of interest because 
the same REIT manager has uh, is owned by ESR Group, which is um, also the sponsor for another REIT. So there is a conflict of interest deemed by Quas Capital, but Sabana Capital has come out now with some rebuttals against their argument, and they are saying what Quas is proposing. To use an internal manager has its own risks. Mm. So something that is just going back and forth and probably is um, bad for investors, all these things playing out in um, the open is not great for um, clarity on where the REIT is going. Mm. In fact, they've stepped up to say that internalizing the REIT manager was likely to cause great uncertainty to the REIT, the REIT and potentially destroy value for unit holdings. Uh, holders, and that's according to a slide in the presentation deck that was in the capital letters as well. Let's move on next on the list. We've got Singapore T-bills. Ryan, why not you go first? All right, T-bills are going to be an up for me because the rate is at 3.89%. So I believe that is quite um, a reasonable rate right now. So up for me. Sean? Definitely an up. I think... 3.89% 3.89% sounds very attractive. Up and up. This is gonna this is gonna be a positive for me. I'm gonna go with an up for T bills as well. Last on the list, uh Singaporean's favorite, durians. Sean, <laughs> why not you go first? Oh for sure it's an up. Who doesn't like durians? Mm. And durians are apparently well, they're gonna be cheaper, right? Because there's yeah. uh, prices are tumbling on surplus. And well apparently you can get it for as low as three dollars a kilo. For sure you're gonna come in. Wow. Um, yeah. Okay. What about you, Ryan? Are you a are are you a durian fan? Um, all right, all right, durians. Um, so it's going to be an up for me as well because you know prices are under pressure, uh, but people are saying the quality is not as good as in past seasons. So it's a bit mm. of a trade off, even though you have more supply. Interesting here. I mean, typically a durian would cause a musang king or maoshan wang. Most of us would know it as would typically go. F- at $12 to $13 per kilogram. I mean, going down all the way to $3, that's quite a steal, wouldn't yeah. you say? That, exactly. So you, I'm not going to say no to a good deal. And yeah. it's still coming from mostly Malaysia, isn't it? Mm, yes, So in it that is. sense, even though we have a drop in quality, our, our su- supply sources is still quite consistent. 85% from Malaysia. Wow. That's uh, quite a big one there. But anyways, I'm going to go with an up for durian because uh, it's good news for us right here in Singapore. Thank you so much, Ryan and Sean, for this breakdown. And thank you for joining us this week as well. Hope you have a great weekend ahead. We'll catch you again next week. Meanwhile, continue to keep it right here with us on Money FM 89.3. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcast. Podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.